WPSL Port St. Lucie. And now it's time for We Are Just Christians. Live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie, here's your host, Mike Schmidt. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thank you all for tuning into the show today. We really appreciate it. I'm uh, flying solo today. My usual co-host, Gary Jones, is sick and cannot be with us again today. He's just having a hard time recovering from a cold. I guess there's a bunch of this stuff going around. Got a text or two this morning on the way over here that some of our regular members will not be able to be here because of illness, and I presume it's the same thing. So hope everybody's doing well out there. And I don't know that any of it's COVID or something like that. I have no indication at all that any of that's true. In fact, what I read this morning is that well more than half the people that are testing positive for COVID have no symptoms, which, of course, is why, sorry to say this, which, of course, is why the press only reports the case numbers and not how how sick people actually are. But in any event, that's another story. But I know there's a lot of illness going around. It happens every time of every year, this time of the year, uh, from Thanksgiving through New Year's. A lot of people are sick. It's just the nature of the human experience in the northern hemisphere. And um, somehow we think that everything now is should be is different than that, or it never was like this. It's all unprecedented. Such is not the case. But I hope Gary gets to feeling better. We need him on the show, and uh, I miss him here. So I'm going to be doing the show alone today, and I, that means I really need you, your help. If you wouldn't uh, have something you want to call in about or have a question you'd like to ask, I'd be that helped me out a lot uh, to uh, do the show, and I would appreciate that. We are just Christians is a live call-in show. And as I guess I've been hinting at, and you can reach the show at 772-340-1590, is the call-in number. We'll put you to the front of the line. And, and the premise of the show, it's a, sp- a show about spiritual things, is that we're, we're not going to make fun of anybody. You don't have, any, have to have any fear of that. It's not about baiting people or setting people up or taking advantage of people is about having a conversation or answering questions, taking comments, things like that. And so we'll have a discussion on the air if, if you'd like and give you the last word of that discussion, just so you know that we're not here to take advantage of you. We're here to learn and, and to grow. And the premise of the show is that we believe that the Bible, the New Testament specifically, has the answers to the thing that things that ail us or the things that concern us. It is a guide for life and for and for eternity, and we're here to promote that. And we desirous that people go back to the first century. That's what the point of the show is, being a first century Christian in the 21st century. But we also want to open up this show and make sure you understand that we'd be glad to talk to anyone who is not a believer. This is not just about Christians sitting around talking about each other. We'd love to engage you in a conversation if you're not a believer, if you have, or if you're skeptic, you have a lot of problems with churches or religious experiences. I'd love to hear about those. I had a few of those myself, in fact. In fact, I woke up partway through the night last night for some reason. It was in a, in a dream or something I had that some of the difficulties I've had in the past uh, as a preacher in churches and dealing with spiritual things. And so... Uh, stayed awake for a while thinking about that. So it's not like it's some kind of a new thing. You don't have to feel ashamed of that. But I'd be glad to engage you if you're not a believer or a skeptic or if you, even if you're very angry about the church and church things. Because I believe that 
I, I'm an idealist. I think the New Testament has the answer. It's the standard. People are not the standard. Human beings are, are, are always full of difficulties and contradictions. And we've got to get past that. We've got to love the people as best we can, but we've got to realize that we're dealing with something that's really a concept, an idea of the truth. And that's what I'm going to fo- that's what I've tried to focus on in my life is teaching the truth, work with the people and myself in doing that. But let's not confuse the truth with the people. Those two things are very different from each other. And so we'd like to have a conversation with you, 772-340-1590. You can also reach us by text message if you'd like to text me during the show. I'll do my best to respond to that text um, during the show. Or if you'd like to text me during the week, you can reach me at 772-3... Let me start over. 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my text number, Mike Schmidt. And... I'll be glad to talk with you now or during the week by text message. Just go ahead and do that. Maybe it's easier for you to communicate by text. The show also has an email address that we try to keep track of. If you'd like to email us something quickly or if it's easier for you, or maybe you'd like to do do a little longer treatise than you can in a text message, the email for the show is justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. Now, I'll get... Back into that a little bit later on. Uh, uh, some I'll go back over a few of those things if I can remember to do so a little bit later on in the show. But this show, as I mentioned, is about spiritual things. It's about uh, what concerns man inwardly, the important part of man, not just the physical body of man, but the inward thoughts and ideas and hearts, and the fact that men. Uh, need salvation from Jesus Christ. They need salvation because of their sin and the nature of God himself. Now, I know that that is a particularly politically incorrect subject. In fact, it's almost so politically incorrect and has been a good part of my lifetime to talk about sin that it can't even be mentioned. It is the one word that will get you thrown out of Uh, any training to be a psychologist or anything like that, or a psychiatrist, that using the word sin will get you thrown out on your ear. It cannot be said, cannot be uttered. And in polite society today, the only thing that could be sinful is a dessert or something like that, which, of course, the Bible doesn't call anything sweet or delicious a sin, but people do because of our own misconceptions about that. But that's about the only thing you can get away with calling a sin today is some kind of a, a dessert or something like that. But the Bible is very clear from front to back, from the first page almost to the last page, that sin is man's big problem. And what sin means in the Bible, the word in the Greek especially means to miss the mark. It means that we have a standard that we have to live by and we have to go by and that a standard for our behavior and character. And humans continually miss the mark on that whether it's for big things and little things. The Bible does say, Jesus say, there are some matters of the law, Matthew 23, 23, that are weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And these are big matters of the law, and they encompass a lot of smaller matters. But he said we ought not to leave the small things undone while we're trying to do the big things, you see. So both big and small things involve missing the mark, and we do so. Now, a lot of people believe that, for example, that we are 
predestined, as it were, to miss the mark, that we've been cursed, and therefore we cannot ever do anything that's right or good or think any good thought. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible teaches that man, in generally speaking, is depraved. That is, he does not always want to do what is right or good. Sometimes he does, but most of the time he wants to do what he wants to do, human beings do. And that leads to all kinds of depravity and corruptibility. And sometimes we don't even know what our own thoughts are. Our own thoughts are so confused. And the heart is deceitful. The Bible, Isaiah says that the heart is very deceitful. Who can know it? But I don't think that means that we're genetically depraved. A lot of people teach that not only are we depraved, but we are totally depraved. We can't even think a good thought. If you think you're thinking a good thought, that's evil itself to even think you're thinking a good thought. That's what depravity means, total depravity means, and that we're inherently depraved, hereditarily depraved, something that we can't help any more than we can help breathing air because we're a mammal, you see, and we're depraved. Now, the Bible doesn't teach those two things. It teaches that man, man is sinful and depraved and in the sense that he continually only wants to do what he wants to do and rebel against God, but it doesn't teach that we are inherently hereditarily and totally depraved and can do nothing of any good whatsoever. Can we ever do enough good to save ourselves now that we've sinned against God? No, we can't do that because of the nature of sin and the punishment for sin is death. And God, uh, you know, says, well, if you want to try to save yourself, you can, but there's no possibility because you can never make up for what you've done in your rebellion uh, and defiance against God by doing things what by doing things your way, the way you want to do them and not submitting to God, you can never make up for that as much as you might try. So doing all kind of good deeds won't save you. On the other hand, to say that man can do nothing at all is to deny what the Bible says over and over again in many places, which I don't really didn't have any intention to get into this morning. But I do want to point out that when, when Gary and I get on this show and we talk about being just a first century Christian in the 21st century or recreating the first century church here in the 21st century. We're, we're talking about uh, we're, we're talking about the fact that if we turn to the scriptures as the source of our knowledge and our authority, then we can find the way to God. We can find the way back to Jesus Christ. And then with God's help, we can act upon that and do what God says, not what we want to do, but we can do what God says in order, to, as Paul says in Philippians chapter two, to save ourselves, or excuse me, Peter says in Acts chapter two, save ourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. So um, I'm not sure, I got a text here. What I'm, act, I'm actually interested, interested what is in the vaccine. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because uh, I, I don't have that thing, I have that in front of me. Um, now, now let, let me say this, because I've said this over and over, and as soon as you express any kind of concern about these issues, people immediately assume that you're an anti-vax. I can tell you, I personally have had just about every vaccine you can imagine from the time I was a little child uh, with polio lining up at the high school to get the polio vaccine back in the 50s. So I've had just about every vaccine you can think of. And so I'm not against vaccines. I don't know that a vaccines per se or some kind of satanic plot. But I do think it's hilarious that for months and months, maybe over a year now, uh, progressives and other, you know, more um, 
I don't know what the word I'm looking for is here, people that just go along with whatever society says without thinking it through clearly. And, oh, you people that believe that they're going to put a, uh, inject a, a chip inside people and so forth, and they, they're not going to ever inject a chip inside people that's got a vaccine passport. Well, of course, they are now. Sweden and a couple other countries are injecting people with chips that you can walk up and they can use through your hand or your arm and you can wave it in front of a machine. It'll bring up your vaccine passport as well as a bunch of other stuff. So the idea that, oh, this could never happen, that's just a right wing Christian conspiracy. Well, it's not. It actually has come true. Now, now whether it's the mark of the beast or not, I, I, I don't believe the Bible teaches that that's what's happening now as a prophecy of the end of the world. Do I believe that the Roman Empire tried to control who could buy and sell based on whether they had worshipped the correct gods or not? Yes, the Roman Empire did that. They tried to control who could buy or sell in the marketplaces based on whether you had offered up the proper sacrifices to the proper pagan gods. And therefore, Christians got left out of this, and it became kind of a sign. It became something that was a problem because Christians were not being able to eat. And that's what's being talked about in the book of Revelation. Now, now we're right back there again, where the big powers that be want to control what the population does and who gets to do what and decide which class of people, vaccinated or unvaccinated, is the right one and the proper one. And so, you know, we're right back there again. But um, vac vaccines, I, I just, what I wish... And I think it's a terrible thing that's happened, personally. I just wish that the government and many other people and, and the social media like Facebook and Twitter and all those people are all aligned with certain, fat, certain political viewpoints, certain political parties. They're all lined up together. One may be in government. One may be out of government. One may be more like a shadow government. They're all lined up together. And they have, over the last year or two, told so many lies and mistruths and half-truths that they have destroyed their credibility with a lot of people. Now, now that is not a good thing in some ways. Some ways it is. I, I'm glad their credibility is being destroyed because it ought to be destroyed because they don't have any credibility and they don't have good motives in some of this. At least many people don't. On the other hand, it's really dangerous to destroy people's credibility or, or whether they would believe a government agency that says this virus is dangerous and you ought to do this or this. We, we shouldn't be destroying the credibility of the FDA and the CDC, but it's already been done. It's not me doing it. It's already been done by what they have done by the way they have refused to talk about natural immunity and other things like that, the way they've denied it even exists. And while they pretended that all this pandemic is being caused by people that are unvaccinated and yet the reason you should be, uh, even Joe Biden said, the reason you should be vaccinated is so you can protect the, the vaccinated. You unvaxed people should get vaccinated to protect the vaccinated. Well, I thought the vaccine protected you. I mean, the self-contradiction, the ridiculous statement like that, which, of course, is true. But the ridiculous kind of non-credible statement that's being made like that caused a lot of people to roll their eyes, shrug their shoulders and go their own way. And, uh, you know, I guess that and this is the trouble. We're trying to force people to do something. And so Christians have a kind of a natural affinity against being forced to do things. We've been pushed to the outer limits of society as it is. Many of us have. 
we've been pushed to the outer edges of polite society by the elite classes in our country and the uh, the uh, secularists. And so we have a natural a natural aversion or natural reluctance to buy into what they're saying, even when it's true. And that's the dangerous part. So uh, is this vaccine like other vaccines that have gone before? Probably not. Now, they would say, and people have developed it, and I'm certainly not a scientist. I've read a little bit about it, but they would tell you that it, it has to be based on different technology and is based on a different technology than some of the previous vaccines. Some would say that's better. Some would say that's not better. There's a good scientific debate about that. But of course, today, you can't have a debate. Everybody has to fall in line with whatever uh, politically motivates them. So for a while, it's two weeks, you know, two weeks to, to slow the spread. Of course, you know, the spread keeps getting slower and slower. Now we want to get done with it. And and that didn't prove to be true. And then, you well, you shouldn't wear a mask. That's ridiculous. And then the same guy says, no, no, you, you have to wear a mask. And first he says, well, it takes this percentage to have herd immunity. Well, no, I just said that because I wanted people to do this, trying to manipulate people's behavior. And so then they wonder why people don't believe what they're being told. And yes, the vaccines that are put, being put out now, the COVID vaccines, are of a different kind of formulation than a lot of the other vaccines. And there are medical problems with some of them. A lot of people are having heart problems. Other people have other symptoms. And it should be okay to talk about that. Every Everything that, that happens to you, everything that you do has consequences. There's no way you can take any kind of medicine of any kind, a vaccine or not, and not have some response to that not have some consequences and, and actually not have some negative consequences. I don't care what they do to you that it might have positive consequences, but it will have negative consequences. The question is, are the positive consequences better than the negative? Now I'll give you an example completely off our, this, the volatile subject of, of vaccines and COVID and all that stuff. And, and this really goes back. This is really true, of course, about, religious truth. And I hope I can remember, I'm by myself, Gary would rem remind me if he were here, to go and make the, the actual application to Bible teaching about this. But when, when I was, I was born with cerebral palsy. Uh, brain damage apparently happened during the birthing process, cut off from oxygen. We don't know exactly. That was almost 70 years ago and people just, we just didn't know, no one knew what, what caused it. They didn't even know exactly what was wrong with me for a year and a half. Finally, well, you got cerebral palsy. It affects my right side. My right side never grew as fast as my left side, so my leg and arms were about an inch shorter. At least it ends up that way. They used to be more shorter, and sometimes I got no more normal. Now they settled in as an adult about an inch, and so I wear built-up shoes. And as a young person, I had a lot of trouble walking. My leg was twisted. The tendons and muscles weak that were weak. They don't respond to the brain, so they're weakened. They don't respond properly, so I had trouble walking. I had to have braces, had two different surgeries and all kind of stuff like that. And I remember as a as a, a boy before the first surgery, they waited and they had the braces and everything. And yeah, the braces helped, but they also had bad consequences and, and other ways. The question is, do they have is the better consequence? Does that outweigh the worse, the, the bad thing? Same thing with then they're going to do surgery when I was uh, eighth or ninth grade. Between eighth and ninth grade, they want to do surgery, a major surgery on my lower leg. Basically cut my leg in half and twisted it, turned it straight, let it reheal. And the doctors told my parents this would help him, help you to walk, help me to walk, because my leg would now be straight. I could walk better. 
And so I think the way it was kind of presented to me and the way I basically this would be a, a solution to the problem. Well, it did solve some things, but it doesn't solve everything. And now that I'm older and I've seen the negative side of that surgery. And then there was another surgery later when I was in college where they went in and basically cut the bones off the ends of my bones and my ankle and fuse those bones together. So my ankle wouldn't collapse anymore. Once again, affected cerebral palsy, weakened, weakened nerve responses, weakened tendons and ligaments and muscles and everything. And so they had to basically fuse it. So the mu muscles didn't have to hold my body up. A and so that, that helped me get rid of my braces. I finally got rid of braces uh, just before I got married when I was 20 something years old, but that has bad consequence. I broke my ankle uh, once and sprained another time because it's fused some things like that so whatever you do in this world that we live in that god made whatever good thing that you do has a negative consequence to it and so yes vaccines are generally very good things they do for in the general population prevent and eradicate many very bad diseases but to pretend like the government, many medical officials now are trying to convince us, all these quote-unquote healthcare professionals, that there aren't negative consequences, percentages of these that happen, is simply a lie. It's disinformation. And that's why people reject the, the whole vaccine. They shouldn't reject the vaccine just because there's negative consequences. They need to weigh for themselves whether the negative consequences will be worse for them than the positive benefit of having some resistance to the disease. In most people, the vast majority of people, the negative consequences are not going to be worse than the disease itself. But in some people, it would be, and they shouldn't be forced to have it. And the medical establishment and the government should recognize that and be honest about that. Then they have a greater chance to persuade more people to believe the truth about that. You know, and I think of so, – so that's my general – feeling about vaccines and when they try to force uh, churches to have vaccine passports and force us to act a certain way, they have ulterior motives in these, in these things. I don't trust big governments. I don't trust mandates. I don't trust that kind of thing because it's never worked out well for Christians, for true Christians. Now, there's always going to be that quote brand of quote unquote Christian that's going to do fine with Caesar and with big government because they will bow to whatever Caesar wants to do in the long run. These churches that we mentioned last week that are having, you know, uh, uh, cross-dressing, uh, what do they call them, uh, uh, drag queens in their services and all that, they're not going to have any problem going forward with whatever the government mandates for churches to do in a secular way because they're going to they're kiss the ring, as it were. Not Christ's ring at in his hand, but they're going to kiss the ring of, of Caesar, and they'll have no problem. But the New Testament churches cannot do that. And so, yes, we'll have a problem. And that's why I'm fundamentally against this kind of mandate and the intrusion, intrusion into spiritual affairs. Now, the way this applies even more down to where you and I live is this old saying, and people who know me in real life and deal with me, I guess I'm kind of known as a little bit of a curmudgeon. <clears throat> Hard to believe, isn't it? Well, see, I used to be just called a smart aleck. And then when I got older and got gray hair, now I think I'm viewed more as a curmudgeon and just somebody's crazy old grandpa, somebody's crazy old uncle, because I don't always say the things. Unfortunately, I don't even know that I'm doing it. Say the things that are uh, 
politically correct or polite conversation. I don't even know what it is. My all I know is my wife nudges me under the table and basically says, you know, be quiet. So I try to do that. Some some of you know how this works. But one of my sayings is um, no good deed goes unpunished. Now, what that means is kind of I don't really believe that we should stop doing good. Just because. Bad things happen, but I can tell you this, don't be so Pollyannish and naive to think that when you do something good for someone, that some bad thing won't happen or that while you're in the process of trying to help someone whether it's doing something for them during the day or whether it's a long-term process of helping someone, that you won't suffer, ne- suffer negative consequences for doing that. Did Jesus ever suffer any negative consequences for doing good? Well, that's all that ever happened to him was pretty much negative consequences. The apostles the same way. This is the lesson Christians have to learn. That's why Paul could say that we ought not to be, grow weary in well-doing. Do not give up. You see, do not grow weary in doing well and and yet we we often do that uh, we we get we decide that living in a Pollyanna world we think that um, that we can just as long as we're doing good that everything is going to be fine and and uh, nothing bad should ever happen that's just not the way it works let me see if I can find yes uh, in Galatians chapter six and for in verse nine, well, let's just go back a minute. Uh, he he tells the Christians here, Paul does in the book of Galatians, that let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. So in other words, if you're being taught by someone who's teaching you the word of God, then you ought to bless him. And, and I think in this case, he's talking about financially and other ways, you ought to. You ought to communicate good things to that person in the physical way. If he's blessing you spiritually, it's not wrong for you to take care of him financially, as it were. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So if you sow wicked things, you're going to reap wicked things. He that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So under the flesh means nurturing and giving in to the idea that I can do what I want, I can have what I want, I'm the master of my own fate, and all those ideas that 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 um, that foster human pride. And he, but he that sows to the Spirit, the Spirit there is following God's will, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. So here he tells us, don't be weary in well-doing. Now, why would Paul have to tell us not to be weary in well-doing if there wasn't some weariness in well-doing? And that's the point I'm making about no good deed goes unpunished. It's obvious that doing well and doing good to people and trying to help people and doing the right thing can make you weary because bad things happen to you things that you don't expect, things that seemingly are undeserved, things that are a lot of trouble and so forth. So don't grow weary in doing well because you're going you're going to it's going to work. It will eventually win. I have another little saying, you know, love, love will win in the long run. It's the only answer that we have showing love to people and, and doing what is loving, even though it doesn't always work and it doesn't always work well. In the world that we live in. 
But the truth is, I'm old enough to know there's almost nothing that works well all the time in the world that we live in. We live in a we live in a broken world full of sinners. And, uh, you know, gravity, it's just like gravity. Is gravity good or bad? Well, it depends if you've just stepped off a cliff or not, whether gravity is good or bad. You know, and so God can make laws, even the laws of nature can are good, but they have bad consequences sometimes. So we have to learn to balance this out and decide in each case as best we can. What is the balance that's going on here and which decision should I make? Now, going back to the questions asked about, you know, what's in the vaccine? I don't know all the things that are in the vaccine. I think there's three or four of them and they're all a little bit different than each other. Uh, and now I'm kind of concerned because some people are wanting to put microchips in the vaccine that they're giving people. Surprised that this hasn't already been thought of or some other thing. I know that this kind of thing is certainly possible. Now it's actually here being done in other countries. It'll soon be here. If we allow it to happen, it'll soon be here. But I do know this, that as a Christian, I can't reject a vaccine just because there's some things about it I don't like or or pretend that somehow COVID is some kind of giant conspiracy that's just made up. No, it's real. It's obviously a real thing, and we ought to be concerned about it. But that ha- that has to be weighed against all the other possible concerns. I've almost seen as much harm to the people that I know from the lockdowns and the other effects of COVID as I have from COVID itself in my sphere. But mine is a very limited sphere. Now, I will tell you that. It's a very limited sphere of influence. But from where I'm sitting, and I think it's where a lot of people are sitting, the effects of the con- of trying to control COVID are worse than the disease itself. And we often see this in the world. It happens this way. But that doesn't mean that nobody should get a vaccine, that all vaccines are bad and so forth. That simply isn't true. I just think it's a real shame that our government has destroyed the credibility of so many medical people, uh, so much of the medical profession, and even the so-called scientific committees hurt itself by trying to make political views scientific. And this political, this political party has a monopoly on science Science is a changing process. The idea that the science is settled even is a silly notion. If you're an actual scientist, you know that the science is not settled on almost anything that you can think of. Scientists are still learning about things that we think are been settled a long time ago, but they're not. And this is what I, why I object to so much what's taught to high school students and even college students about biology and other things is that they're not, it's not settled that man came from from apes and, and so forth and so on. And uh, genetics is disproving this over and over again. And the people at the forefront already understand. They don't they don't know where it should go. They certainly aren't going to go back to the Bible. But they know that Darwin does not have the answer. He only looked like he had some of the answer for 150 years. But Darwin does not have the answer to how the world works. And we're finding out, for example, that that DNA is far more complex than we ever realized it was. This idea you're getting pushed is getting pushed to you on CSI and all these other programs and DNA settles everything and it can never be wrong or whatever. Well, maybe the DNA isn't wrong because DNA is what it is, but scientists are wrong about how they interpret it, you see. Scientists are the ones that are reading the DNA and they're often wrong and their understanding of it is often very limited because we're finding out more and more that it's not as simple as it seems. I breed animals. Uh, show show birds, show poultry, 
now I'm in the honeybees interested in, you know, working with that, some of the genetics and things like that there of the of honeybees. And, and uh, I can tell you from just my limited experience in those things that, that <clears throat> genetics and animal behavior and animals aren't anywhere near as simple as they often are presented in the popular press and in high school science books. Not anywhere near as simple. And human beings, and I've studied human beings my whole life as a minister and a preacher, are nowhere near as simple as people want to make them out to be. Because God made a very complex world. Now, I don't know where I started off with all of this, but I do want Christians, what, what, what this means for you who are Christians and who are, who are trying to follow God is this. Yes, God is in control. He made a complex world, far more complex than human minds have ever been able to comprehend. We've come a long way in, in the last few lifetimes in understanding the world around us, but we've really just begun to scratch the surface. And the people who, who know, uh, know the most know that, that we've just begun to scratch the surface of what is possible to know about the world that we live in. And it's far more complex than we ever thought it was. And that only give us more confidence in God. That's what uh, that, that he is the one who's in control. So when God tells me, for example, that that he made them male and female and he basically made one man for one woman, I, you know, you can do a lot of sociological studies and you can do all the other things. And you can have people protesting on the streets about sexism and all that. But I, I still know that what God says is true about that. And so I'm going to hold on to what God said is true about that, in spite of the fact that the, quote, quote unquote, current science says something that seems to be somewhat different than that, because I know God's word is true. When uh, when uh, the, the Darwinians are saying that human beings came from a whole bunch of different apes, extinct apes, and, and all of us are all mixed up because we have this DNA and that DNA and this ape and that line of apes and so forth, uh, I still know what the Bible says, that all men have been made of one blood and all nations of, of the earth are one blood. All men are created equal, in other words. We have one set of parents. I still believe that. I think that's right. And I think over time, my confidence is that maybe long after I'm dead, that's going to be shown to be true. Because God said it. You know, And so that's where we are in this confusing world. Now, uh, we have to understand that Caesar can, and in this, the problem that's going on in our political system in this COVID controversy has kind of brought a lot of this to the forefront, is this idea that's been put forth during my lifetime, especially it's grown really strong during my lifetime the last 50 years, is that the secular federal government is the arbiter of all things, of truth, that whatever the federal government says, whoever is in power, and by now we have we have a, a basically a shadow government that exists. If you go to Washington, D.C., you'll see mile after mile of brick, big brick office buildings housing thousands upon thousands of bureaucrats sitting behind desks in various agencies. That's the real government, not Joe Biden, not Congress, not Donald Trump. The real government is all those thousands of faceless people populating the agencies of our government, and they never change. They never go away. They, 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 all, they have the same view they've always had. Whether they are Democrat or Republican or whether the president is Democrat or Republican or Congress, they still say the same. And we've been conditioned to believe that whatever they say has to be true, and we have to bow down before that and kneel before the great federal government. Now, Christians instinctively know, 
that this is not a good thing. This is not how it was in Christ's day. It's not what was good for Christians back then. It's not what's good for Christians now, you see. But we've been pitted oftentimes, especially those who are conservative, as the bad guys in all of this, and we're not the bad guys in all this. I think that I think that uh, the fa- people who founded this country, and that's one thing that makes this country different than other countries, is that they had a distrust of these big, powerful governments, and rightfully so. Christians have to learn to think for themselves and to be willing to stand for themselves. That's what Daniel and his three friends did in this, in Babylon. They were willing to go along with their society up to a point, even though they were captives in Babylon. But when the king told them to defy God, or even to look like they were defying God, they refused to do it. And when they refused to do it, bad things happened to them from the world's place. So uh, they uh, they have to they have to uh, we have to understand that that's the, been the message all along. Then you come down to the time of the apostles, and here Peter and him teaching about the resurrected Christ, and, the, and he did miracles, and they drag him before the council, and the Jew, Jewish leaders tell him to get to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and he says, "Well, you decide whether we should uh, def, uh, deny God or, or follow you. Should we obey God rather than men? You you decide." I just got a text and um, from Jason. It says, I have to disagree. I feel that if science ever discovered definitive proof of Adam and Eve, it would be hushed and silenced and squashed. It would essentially prove the Judeo-Christian creation story and Bible by extension, and it would have bad implications for those who think morality is a falsehood perpetuated by religion. Well, I don't doubt that that, that, that kind of thing has happened before in that Many things that could be shown to validate the truth of the scriptures have been basically distorted and squashed and so forth. Um, if you want to break this whole. And so in principle, I don't disagree with that because and this is the point I'm making. We, Jason, I think you're kind of making it. Maybe you don't mean to do it this way. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're kind of making the point I am. <clears throat> that governments. And those who are in control of human societies love the power that they have to do that, to be that way. They love that power, and they want you to bow down to them. So Jesus Christ has always been a threat to human governments, and especially the bigger the government, the more of a threat he is. I mean, if you were to, if you go before the Port St. Lucie City Council and you say, God says this, well, they're going to shut you up because they're the power in Port St. Lucie. Don't go bringing God or Christ into the matter. They have the power in Port St. Lucie, and they don't want anybody. They're not going to share it with anybody, as it were. That's the problem with human governments all, all along the way. It doesn't have to be that way, but, of course, that's the way it is. And you're right. Eventually, all this stuff that we talk about science, all this science stuff, all this intellectual stuff and ends up being about morality. There you go. Jesus said, why, in John uh, 8 and verse 44 to the Pharisees, why can't you understand what I'm saying? I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Well, because he says you're of your father, the devil, and the will of your father, it is your will to do. In other words, the lust of your father, it's your will to do. So you're, 
you're motivated by the independence that Satan exerted, being your own self, doing what you want to do. And you will not listen to me, what I say, because it would mean that you can't do what you want to do. That's why you can't understand Christianity, because you want to do what you want to do. And so that's the human problem, whether it's governments, civilizations, society, science, or me and you. We want to do what we want to do, and Christ is a threat to that. The gospel is a threat to that. And so we push it aside. But a lot of times people, as I mentioned in another show a week or two ago, will use so-called scientific questions when the real problem is something in their in their own life, in their own life in a moral way that they don't want to have to change or that they feel like they're that they think that they're doing wrong. I get this all the time. As a preacher. Uh, it manifests itself sometimes not particularly negatively, but it manifests itself a lot. And I'm aware of it uh, being a being a preacher or minister. Uh, my son-in-law said, because he, uh, when he met my daughter, he, not not a particularly religious person, a very good person, and one who had some religious background, but not a particularly religious person at all. He had never known anyone. He never known a preacher or anything like that. When he found out that the girl he liked was dad was a preacher, he was a little bit, I think, put uh, you know, uh, leery of that. And when we met, we began to talk a little bit, and we got acquainted. And he realized he saw that I'm not what he had envisioned as a person, basically said it was kind of like a glass wall was up. When you when they said, you're a preacher, an invisible glass wall went up between the two of us that was there to, you know, basically to protect me, he said. And so that's the that's the thing that happens. Now, what what that what that what's that mean? Is it just me? Well, yeah, some of the reaction I get is because I'm a, a little bit of a of a a strange person, perhaps. I'll admit that. It's 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 oddity, it's eccentricity. I may be considered a little bit pushy. I got a big mouth. So, you know, I understand all that. I'm willing to accept the negative consequences of that to some degree. But a lot of what I'm experiencing isn't that, because it happens to a whole bunch of other people, including my, my brother who's a preacher, one of my brothers who who's the nicest guy you're ever going to meet. He has the same experience. It's because to most people, the word God means responsibility or perhaps better accountability. The word God is synonymous with accountability. And so when they meet someone who they, in their words, has a special connection to God, has a hotline to heaven, I'm using those in quotes, I get told that too. They, they think that somehow my presence is going to make them either be or feel more accountable their own actions. So they're worried about what I think. I'm not the one you got to worry about, folks. It's God you got to worry about. And so we react that way. And I think that, and that's the problem. I think that whenever Jesus gets brought into a conversation or morality or the Bible, I think people feel compelled to resist that because they're doing things in their own life or in their own thoughts, even if they're not doing them, that they know are not good or are questionable. And they don't want to be told no. They don't want to be told no. When my oldest son was about two or three years old, two years old or so, maybe three, he was very vocal, very verbal, even at a young age. But he was jumping up and down on the couch. Then he would get up on the arm of the couch and fall and jump onto the couch and bounce around. My wife says, sees this. she says, you know, Matt, you need to stop doing that. You're going to get hurt. 
And he says to her as a young kid, if you turn around and don't look, it won't make any difference. It won't matter. If you just stop looking, it won't matter. So that's the reaction we have with God. If we could just get God to stop looking at us, then none of this would matter. None of our own immoral actions, immoral thoughts, and wicked thoughts, selfish thoughts, greediness, our greed, our lust, our, our, even our superficiality would not matter. If we could just get God and, by extension, religious people to stop looking at us. It's a silly kind of mental game we play. But uh, that's the problem. Now, as far as the technical aspects of this text, and we got another text or two to get, get to, but <clears throat> uh, Jason, uh, I don't know how you would ever find definitive proof of Adam and Eve. I think eventually we'll discover some of that genetically, but the problem with that is that the, di the genetic diversity that had to be contained in Adam and Eve would be is far more so than what we'd ever expect today. It's far greater than any human being today has. The genetic diversity and so they're not even looking they're not even looking for what they might find because they don't believe it's there so they're not even looking for that kind of thing but i'm not sure how you'd get that but they're just not going to let this idea that there's a god in heaven and that the god of heaven even holds governors and authorities accountable for what they do they're not going to let that idea gain too much foothold in the world if they can help it but you and i know that that's true that there is a God in heaven. He is going to hold these leaders accountable for what they do. And that includes not only the president of the United States. I'm going all the way down to the police officer on the local beat. God holds that person accountable for how they act and what they do as an authority, a civil authority in this world. He holds medical authorities accountable when they don't tell the truth in their job and when they deceive people and misinform people. He holds them accountable, especially when they have political motives or other special interest motives behind that. And so uh, anyway, that's the that's how I would review that. Now, we have another text from John. He says, um, being religious is the problem. Jesus was a Jew and did not come to start a new religion. Jesus came to point the people to the proper interpretation of the law. Well, uh, I don't know where to go with that one. I think we've discussed this before. We have to define, and I'm not sure on the base of a text, what John may mean by religious. Uh, religion has both a positive and negative connotation. It's in the Bible. James says pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This James one. So so that there is a religion. Religio is from the Latin word to bind back. So religion generally is what humans do in order to please God or to practice uh, pleasing God or doing God's will. And so we view we've separated being spiritual from being religious in this country. That's somewhat of a false dichotomy. If you are if you are actually a truly spiritual person, listen to what I'm saying. If you are truly a spiritual person according to the Bible, then you're going to be a religious person. That is, you're going to practice and do what God wants you to do in order to please him. You're going to try to find out what God expects of you, both in thought and action, and you're going to do that. You're going to come to a point of being saved by Jesus Christ and his blood. That's because you know that God wants you to do that. He set up, he set up Jesus Christ as the way to do that. So you're going to want to please God. So if you define religion in the broad sense of just 
trying to do what God wants you to do and please God, uh, then we ought to be religious. If you define religious as just going to church and following a bunch of man-made traditions because your parents did that or because society expects you to do that, then no, I'm against religion. I, that's what this show is about. We're against that kind of religion, that kind of traditionalism and religion that just does things because somebody in the past did it or because somebody, people in society want you to be religious. And then some people have the connotation or use the word religious in a connotation, meaning a phony person who will act pious in certain circumstances in life, act religious and spiritual in certain circumstances, but in the rest of their life, they're not at all. They do what they want to do. And so there's two or three different people we're seeing sometimes. Now, so religion can be equated somebody who is a phony, a hypocrite, a stuffed shirt, as it were, or it can be used in the proper sense of someone who is a pious and godly person who not only believes certain things, but practices those because God wants them to do it that way. So, yeah, and Jesus was a Jew. But see, the point of Judaism, and he says he didn't come to start a new religion. Well, that may be in one sense, once again, depending on how you're defining the terms. Jesus wasn't starting something new, except that the Bible calls it a new and living way. The new and living way is to follow Jesus Christ and not Moses. But Moses wasn't against the Christ. Moses was sent to lead people to the Christ, to Jesus Christ. So what Jesus was doing became the proper fulfillment of Judaism. Judaism's true fulfillment is Christianity and the new way in Christ, not just Oh, I gotta, I gotta have a better religion than Moses. Let me think up a new religion here. So we set up a new religion, like you know Joseph Smith did, a new religion, or Mary Baker Eddy, or somebody like that. No, he wasn't doing that. He was simply saying, I did not come to destroy the law, Matthew five. I came to fulfill the law, to bring it to its proper conclusion, because that's what it meant, you see. And so yes, Moses was a type of Christ. And the law of Moses was to lead us to Christ, but Christ is the fulfillment of all those things. And, and Jesus was not antagonistic to Moses. He was not antagonistic to the old law. When he was saying in Matthew 5 through 7 there in the Sermon of the Mount, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, he wasn't attacking Moses. He was attacking those people's interpretation of Moses, their traditional, non-spiritual interpretation of Moses. That's what he was doing in those things. So he, he did come to point, yes, I agree, he did come to point people to the proper interpretation of the law, which was that Christ is the fulfillment, the end of the law, as it were. And, and that's what I, that's why I tell people, yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jew, I'm a part of Israel. Oh, I'm not a Jew in the sense that I practice the law of Moses, but I do, I do respect and love the law of Moses because it led people to Christ. It was designed to show me Christ. And the more I learn about what the law was really about and all the types and figures the more I appreciate it. It's a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ, the Bible says in Galatians 4. So, so there's nothing to be antagonistic, and all this so-called Christian anti-Semitism is very misplaced. Now then, there is a brand of Judaism that is, as it were, anti-Christian, and not just in sense of saying, well, I don't agree that Jesus is the Christ. We can have that discussion. But they're anti-Christian in a very vir virulent and, and evil way, just like there are some so-called Christians in the past and even that exist today who are anti-Jewish. And I don't think there's any place for that because the Bible doesn't 
speak that. Paul, Paul said in Romans 10, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. And he bore witness of the Jews of his day, even that they were very zealous for God, but they were misinformed and they had sought to establish something of their own and not following God's righteousness. But he was not against them as a people. He wanted them to be saved. And he wanted them to follow, and doing that meant that they had to be willing to follow Christ, you see. So um, that's kind of, wow, we've been all over the place this morning. But I think this is, what I'm, I guess what I would get out of what we said this morning is that what we're seeing when we see things like, to some people among Christians, vaccine resistance, and what some people are calling Christian nationalism, it is simply a reaction to the early stages in the last 50 years of persecution, of being pushed out of polite society altogether if you say you believe in Jesus Christ or want to practice what's moral. And every, almost everything that most of us believe is moral behavior, both sexually and otherwise, is being, de- is being denounced and challenged everywhere we go. And therefore, yes, Eventually, people push back against that. And when you get people to work to a point where they want to push back against you, it, there's always a bunch that push back too hard and in the wrong way and over the wrong things. So we shouldn't expect it to be any different. Yes, when people felt the Constitution was being trampled on, they pushed back. Did they push back in a bad way? Yes. But don't be surprised that people pushed back when you've been pushing them for a long time on a lot of issues. And finally, they've just been just get fed up with it. I think that's a I think that is a problem that Christians have. In in a personal way is that we're taught as Christians to be tolerant, to be gentle, to be respectful and to to not overreact to things and and to turn the other cheek as it were. And so you keep doing this over and over and over and over again, turning the other cheek as it were. And eventually, sometimes people just lose control. They can't do it anymore. And that when they do, there's a lot of pent up energy there that's going to be released. And I think that's kind of what's been going on. And it's unfortunate. But on the other hand, it's to be expected. Personally, in a broad, in the broad sense, in a very broad way, and I'm speaking about me personally, not about the church here. I'm not speaking for Gary Jones or anybody, any other Gary we have here at the church. I'm speaking for me. I'm not on. I'm not completely upset that there's been a lot of pushback on some of this stuff that's gone on the last couple of years. I'm not upset at all about that. I think politically and as a country, and for my freedom's sake to speak and teach the truth, I think this pushback is good. It, a lot of times it gets out of hand. It becomes ungodly, and I'm against that. But I don't think the idea of pushing back against those who are pushing you in the wrong direction is a bad thing. And Christians certainly have the right to resist the government. We see that all throughout the New Testament. They have a right to resist that which is evil and so forth. And I made a point on, I think I made this point on Facebook. I don't think I got a very good reaction. But of course, that doesn't mean I'm wrong. I I don't, I'm not going to judge. I don't tend to judge the fact of whether I get a good reaction uh, as to whether I'm, whether I'm wrong or not. Uh, on that, but people say, well, we Christians ought to bow to Caesar. Okay, we ought to respect Caesar. Okay, let me ask you a question then. 
in the United States, according to our system of law, who is Caesar? We don't have a Caesar. Joe Biden and or Donald Trump, neither one of those guys are Caesar. And that's the pro- that's the point that's been missed about our political system. We don't have a Caesar like that. Caesar is the Constitution and the established government on the Constitution, which includes both a legislative, executive, uh, and judicial branch, and no agency like the CDC is Caesar, and neither is Joe Biden Caesar. So for me to oppose what they say and do, knowing that there are three branches of government that all have to speak on these matters and deal with us, and they all have to pass laws, the law itself, the Constitution itself is Caesar. And that Constitution, which is Caesar in the United States, gives me the right and the privilege as a Christian to speak out against what is wrong and to have my own ideas and so forth. doesn't give me the right to break a law particularly, but we have to establish who made the law and what is it, is it really a legal or a legitimate law. And we have a recognition of that in this country. Just because a president announces something doesn't make it a law in this country. It might make it that way in Iran, but it doesn't make it that way in this country. And so for Christians to, as it were, resist the pronouncements of a medical uh, doctor's medical agency or even a particular president does not mean that they are resisting Caesar and rebelling against the government. We don't have a monarchy in this country to rebel against. It means that they are, just like every other citizen, exercising their right to a redress of grievances, the very words of the Constitution, which is Caesar. We have a right to do that, and it's a good thing that we do that, as it were. Whether we're liberal or, or conservative, it's a good thing that we do that. Because there's plenty of things that conservatives have been for that I'm against, and and so forth. And things I think they ought to be against that they're not against as conservatives. So we can talk about that some other time. But Christians have a right, and we ought to be doing that as Christians. Uh, or else we're going to get pushed to the margins of society. Now, if we get pushed to the margins of society, and I don't doubt that that's going to happen. I think it's been marching that way ever since I've been a boy. Christianity is being, especially New Testament Christianity, is being pushed to the margins of polite society and will eventually attempt to be, they will attempt to eradicate it as much as possible. That may happen. I want to postpone that as long as I can. For my sake and for the sake of my children and my grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren soon, I want to postpone that whole thing as long as I can. When it does happen, you can still expect, I hope and pray, that I have the courage to continue to do what's right and not be weary in well-doing, even when it's very inconvenient and or dangerous. I hope that I will not become weary in well-doing and so forth and preaching God's will. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of, of uh, the time this morning. If I can find this scripture so I can quote it accurately, I ran across a psalm the other day. I don't know how I miss these things. Sometimes we just miss things that we don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I miss things that I uh, I can't believe I've read over them and over them. And uh, I can't find the right verse. Here it, here it is. It's in Psalm 71, verse 18. Now, also, when I'm old and gray headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. 
Don't forsake me when I'm gray-headed, Lord. Well, our time is gone today. Thank you for listening to We Are Just Christians. We appreciate it. Hope you'll tune in again next week at 9 o'clock on WPSL. May God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.